This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Happy New Year! Coming up, we'll review the top stories from Illinois about the upcoming lame duck legislative session, the state's finances, and more. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and Illinois editor Brett Rowland about the riots in D.C., COVID-19 restrictions, and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at TheCenterSquare.com the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here's some of the top stories from the past week. Democrats in the Illinois House differ on whether there'll be a strong push for tax increases in the lame duck session that starts in Springfield Friday. Republicans are bracing for the prospect. House Minority Leader Jim Durkin said under House Speaker Michael Madigan, past precedents saw a tax increase being snuck in during a lame duck session. Call your state representative now. Let them know that you're not for more taxes and they must reject Madigan as Speaker of the next General Assembly. House Revenue Committee Chairman, Democratic State Representative Mike Zaleski said despite the 2011 lame duck tax hike, he doesn't see a last minute tax increase surfacing. It, it really is not going to be easy for us in a convention center during COVID with a leadership fight going forth to then turn around and, and, and also uh, pass a, a tax increase. Republican State Representative Tom Dimmer said there are around 100 bills that could be changed last minute, but he said that's how Madigan has operated in the past. None of these proposals um, have been publicly vetted. None of them have had committee hearings uh, to debate them, to take input or discussion about. Democratic State Representative LaShawn Ford said lawmakers could discuss increasing the flat income tax, but he said they have to have the conversation about any kind of increased revenue. Hopefully we look at revenue streams that will deal with um, those that are uh, have the ability to pay more. Whether there's urgency to deal with the state's $4 billion unbalanced budget depends on who you ask as state lawmakers prepare for lame duck session that starts Friday. Zaleski said, thanks to the last month's federal stimulus bill, there may be a cushion to get to the next General Assembly that begins work Wednesday. You know, there's things in the CARES Act that was just passed that may not be sort of, quote unquote, a direct aid package to the states, but we're going to get funding for education. We're going to get funding for testing. We're going to get funding for higher ed. Those are all silos of the budget that um, we traditionally work with. Zaleski also said the governor's announced $711 million in cuts will help bridge to the new legislature. Demmer said that there needs to be budget hearings immediately. This is no longer uh, a situation where one person can govern. 
Uh, we need to work on this together. And the way to do that is by convening appropriations committees to hear directly from the people responsible for this. Governor J.B. Pritzker said it's not likely the $4 billion budget hole be addressed in the lame duck session. Lame duck is relatively short, so it's difficult to uh, do everything that we need to do to close the budget hole. And we have not yet heard from the Republicans uh, after they're demanding that uh, there be cuts, what their cuts proposal is. Durkin said... He's told the governor repeatedly to own the budget mess Democrats passed without Republican support. And I asked Governor Pritzker to provide a list of the cuts that he had stated he had directed his agencies to do back in 2019, the 6.5% cuts. And still to this day, we have not heard from him. Durkin said alongside cuts, the state needs to also address pensions that could crowd out tax dollars for other services. Pritzker expressed hope Tuesday in the federal government's under Biden's administration will give direct payments to Illinois. It could be a grab bag of other issues when the Illinois legislature convenes for the final days of the 101st General Assembly starting Friday afternoon. One of the major issues expected could impact law enforcement and the criminal code. House Bill 163 was amended with 611 pages this week. What was initially a measure for prescription drug monitoring turned into a measure full of changes to the criminal code and changes to how law enforcement's regulated. Illinois Sheriff's Association Executive Director Jim Kaichek said the measure is too broad and, if ever implemented, he'd quit being a police officer immediately. He said among the slew of proposed changes, one thing's missing, licensing police. My assumption would be is that that will be introduced on another bill. And my fear would be is that, you know, maybe this bill doesn't move forward, but, oh, by the way, here's police licensing. It's not nearly as bad. So is that an opportunity for them to pass that. He said there needs to be more conversation about the issues. I don't remember a time ever where anything good ever passed during the lame duck. The whole point of passing something in the lame duck is because it can happen quickly and people don't have an opportunity to react and fairly respond to it. That's it. Spokespeople of the amendment sponsor didn't immediately respond for comment. In other issues that could come up, State Representative LaShawn Ford said his top priority is making sure the state's adult use cannabis laws are more inclusive to people of color. It is important because making sure that people have access to capital and 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 business opportunities is critical to um, a healthy lifestyle for blacks. Cannabis Business Association of Illinois Executive Director Pam Altoff fully expected something to advance in the lame duck session. Um, I have yet to see it. But uh, I do know that it's, it's a strong um, cooperation between not only the industry, but the General Assembly and the administration. Any legislation not passed by both chambers before Wednesday dies as the first day of the 102nd General Assembly begins. Legislators in an Illinois House committee are expected to hear more about what happened at the LaSalle Veterans Home, where a COVID-19 outbreak has killed 35 people. Some hope unanswered questions are addressed. After the Legionnaires outbreak at the Quincy Veterans Home that eventually killed 13 over three years, lawmakers requested an audit. State Senator Sue Rezin said recommendations laid out by the Auditor General following that outbreak weren't followed by the Pritzker administration. It states a recommendation that cites um, putting a very specific procedure into place for site visits once it's been determined that there is an outbreak at the veterans' home. Around the time of that report in March 2019, Governor J.B. Pritzker said his administration was, quote, taking action where the state's fallen short. But Resin this week said that doesn't seem to be the case. You know, is this just lip service or are we actually 
going to see changes that need to be made and who's enforcing these changes. Right now, we're just being told by the administration, everything's taken care of and we've corrected the problems, but we don't know for sure. Resin took part in the previous House hearing on the issue and hopes to be part of Saturday's hearing in Springfield. She said someone from the Illinois Department of Public Health has to answer why it took 12 days for the first site visit. The day that they knew that they had an outbreak at the veterans' home, we need that person from the Department of Public Health testifying at the hearing so we can ask questions. A spokesperson with IDPH said Thursday that the committee is not requesting the appearance of any IDPH personnel for Saturday's scheduled hearing. Restaurant owners in Illinois have faced many obstacles over the past 10 months because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Kevin Bessler has details. Governor J.B. Prisker banned indoor dining on two separate occasions, citing rising virus numbers. George Mayhee, the dining editor for St. Louis Magazine, which covers the Metro East, says December is usually an important month for restaurants. There's a lot of gift card revenue coming in, and they're, they're, the coffers are full in December, and these guys all pay their, their sales tax at that time. Well, that didn't happen this year. Mayhee hopes there's a light at the end of the tunnel for restaurant owners. I think with, with a little extra money and, and some vaccines and, and things, going in the in the right direction, the COVID numbers going down, that uh, I think a lot of these guys that were really questioning whether they could survive are going to survive. May he says 110,000 restaurants across the country have closed since the pandemic began. I'm Kevin Bessler. Meanwhile, the governor's refiled an emergency COVID-19 rule that varies slightly from an expired rule requiring businesses to post about masking mandates and follow capacity restrictions. A rule filed last year before the legislature met in May was repealed by the governor after critics said it criminalized business owners. In August, the governor filed a different emergency rule, the Joint Commission on Administrative Rules, allowed to stand. JCAR member State Representative Tom Dimmer acknowledged that the rule expired Monday. I, I believe that's correct. Um, there, I, My understanding is that a um, an extension to that emergency rule or a new emergency rule will be filed um, in similar vein. The Illinois Department of Public Health said a similar emergency rule has since been filed. Springfield area business owner Ryan Bandy was frustrated with more emergency rules. You know, we can't just have this unilateral decision making done by the uh, the governor all the time. This needs to stop. You know, we need to get, uh, you know, at least a legislature involved in it. Emergency rules not blocked by JCAR expire after 150 days. Back in August, the Illinois Retail Merchants Association opposed that mask mandate rule because it meant the enforcers were store clerks and that could put them in harm's way. Irma CEO Rob Carr applauded local governments that have since approved civil fines for individuals violating the mask rule, but there's a patchwork across the state. The statewide rule filed Monday by the Pritzker administration, Carr said, is improved. This puts in place that you can hand them something in writing. So you could give them a notice that Irma had produced that said, uh, you know, you're, you should be wearing a face mask. Or we may be able to, we may ask you to leave. Um, and that helps uh, that helps uh, the retailer avoid the, try to avoid some of those confrontations. The updated emergency rule also prohibits gatherings of more than 50 people. Public and non-public schools are to have fewer than 50 people in any one space. If the rule is not blocked by that legislative commission that meets January 12th, it would be in effect through June 3rd. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and Illinois editor Brett Rowland. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Illinois in Focus's Crosstalk segment. Chris Krug. This is commentary powered by the Center Square here in Illinois. Joining me today, not Dan McCaleb. It's Brett Roland. What's up, Brett Roland? Hi, Chris. How are you? Glad to be here. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here, too. Our buddy Dan is not feeling so well. He's taking the day off. Uh, Brett is our editor here in Illinois. I mean, who knows more about Illinois than Brett? I'm not sure anybody does. We'll find out as we put Brett to the test. Brett, what is going on in Illinois? Um, first things first, let's talk about what's going on nationally. We don't typically do that here, but I mean, is it strange days and strange times call for strange measures, right? We are taping this on Thursday. Today is January 7th. So this is a story that's going to evolve quite a bit, we think. Uh, but there was chaos at the, at the Capitol uh, in Washington, D.C., as a number of people who made their way over from a pro-Trump protest, I mean, went absolutely bonkers inside the Capitol. It cost one person her life, an Air Force uh, veteran shot by Capitol Police. Maybe the ugliest day in America that I can think of, um, specifically in, in DC in my lifetime. We've had plenty of plenty of ugliness in 2020, but this is a very, very bad day, a very dark day, you know, for a nation that was trying to confirm electoral college votes. Certainly radical fringe uh participated in something that wasn't wasn't in the best interest of the country as a whole. And I think we all suffered for it. Indeed it was a dark day yesterday. So what's the reaction um, from uh, from legislators uh, here in Illinois and uh, certainly from the Illinois contingent of, of Congress? Yesterday afternoon, uh, we were just watching uh, things come in, uh, lawmaker after lawmaker, um, at all levels of government in Illinois, uh, roundly condemned what happened in D.C. It, it was just nonstop. We, we, it was hard for us to even get a story out yesterday because we had just a flood of comments. Everybody's saying, uh, you know, essentially the same thing is this is disgusting. You know, we can't believe this is happening. Um, it's, you know, from the governor to the speaker of the house, uh, to, to just about every, uh, legislature, uh, member of the legislature in Illinois, um, condemned it. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk about, uh, about what governor Pritzker had to say specifically about it. I, his, his concept was that we should, as a nation, we should impeach Trump after the DC riots. I, I don't, I, I don't understand what the point of that would be. Uh, it, you know, I mean, haven't we spent enough money, wasted enough money trying to impeach Trump? Um, and what, what 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 would we be able to accomplish in, in 14 days? And why is it even why is this even relevant at, at this point? Pritzker seems to be saying that even two weeks is too dangerous for Trump at this point. Um, I'm not sure what they can actually get done in two weeks. Uh, it, last time it seemed to take a whole lot longer. Um, but, you know, I think that, that there is definitely this sent sentiment out there that, that Trump has crossed a line or crossed several lines now that, that appear to be one bridge too far. Um, and, and Pritzker uh, has felt probably that way for, for a while uh, and now is uh, calling again for impeachment. Yeah, I get it. You know, I mean, as far as partisan partisanship goes and, and, and Partisanship is really kind of like think, you know, as we look back on 2020, it's going to be the maybe the biggest consideration of like in history. I mean, of 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 the history of 2020 it was so much about partisanship, so much about, you know, this side versus that side and, you know, references to the other side and whatnot. You know, here in Illinois, our governor, 
I think operates under a sort of an auspice or he sort of like puts out this vibe that he's this like charismatic bipartisan leader. And I'm not sure that that shows up on the score sheet anywhere. I mean, it just, that that's not been his MO. It's not evidenced in any specific way. So I wasn't all that interested in, in what, to be honest with you and what he had to say about it, because I mean, I think, Pritzker's been, you know, incredibly predictable and not terribly thoughtful about uh, repairing division in, in the state. I mean, not everyone in the state of Illinois is a Democrat, but he would operate under the under the auspice that everyone in Illinois is a Democrat. If the progressive income tax vote didn't suggest to him that that would be, you know, not the case, I'm I'm not exactly sure what would. Pritzker is definitely a, a partisan governor. Um, he, he, you know, a lot of his stuff has, has his star has sort of risen uh, with his handling of the pandemic. But um, you know, time and time again, he shows that he's a Democrat through and through. He, he, even during his COVID nineteen press press conferences, you know, he, he he talks the Democrat talking points. He praises, you know, the the change in the Senate yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we've we've seen it every. The progressive tax is a great example. Um, it just, he literally refuses to believe that anybody could have voted against that, um, based on the principle that they didn't want higher taxes. He thinks that somehow that they, they were uh, ever mega donors and, and rich Republicans, uh, somehow, uh, pulled the veil over everyone's eyes right before the election, even though yeah. the results were just overwhelming. Right. Well, I mean, I, you know, a couple thoughts on that. Number one, I mean, we just had a report out, you know, from uh, what was it, U Haul and and who's the other? Is it Allied or United Van Lines? One or the other. United about, Van Lines. Yeah, about about people leaving the state of Illinois and coming into the state of Illinois, and it's two out for every one in. I mean, you know that that that's unsustainable math. And you had said that like his star had risen during COVID. Where? Certainly not here in Illinois among among small business owners and certainly not here in Illinois among people who feel that he's overreached and and impacted their lives and and um, you know really kind of sidled up to it to an even greater degree you know to to unions um, in particular teachers as maybe even as a uh, as a as a payback for you know for being elected you know two years ago. So how do you how do you see that his star is, has risen and where are you talking about his national ambitions? Where are you going with that? Um, yes, uh, he he was on TV quite a bit during the pandemic. He he routinely criticized Trump and and the administration, uh, and he he sort of got his face out there a lot more than he would have other otherwise um, because of the pandemic. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. I don't think that he connected very well with small business owners. Um, you know, well, he's crushing he's, them. I mean, I, that's not even. I mean, that's not even connecting. He's cru- he's literally crushing small business in Illinois. Um, restaurants, you know, around the state continue to close because they can't operate properly. And uh, I mean, other small businesses that that aren't necessarily even in the service field, you know, have been drastically impacted by the, the sort of the, um, I would say the the very wishy-washy mitigation plan. Um, so why don't we just move right into that and talk about it? 
the goalposts had remained where, where they were at the beginning of COVID. The introduction of the vaccine, which occurred in December, was supposed to be the gateway to, quote unquote, phase five. Phase five was reopening, right? Schools were going to be open in that scenario. Uh, there would be a re- like a sort of a full return to, you know, indoor dining. Where where are we with this? Because va- the vaccines here, the vaccines being distributed, not necessarily very very well, uh, but that's a state issue, not a federal issue. I mean, that's certainly within Pritzker's control. Where are we with regard to, to COVID mit- mitigation? Simply for the benefit of people out there who are trying to follow along to determine what's what they can and can't do legally. Things certainly have changed over time here. Initially, when he first set out a reopening plan, um, it was when a vaccine or, or effective therapeutic was widely available. Um, I'm not even sure it said widely available at first, um, but it just said available. So by those standards, we, we would certainly be under the full reopening, you know, sort of back to normal. Um, but th- that hasn't get, happened in the plane is, the plan, uh, the reopening plan has continued to change. Um, Pritzker says that, you know, it has to change as new information comes in. Um, Other people have said that he's moving the goalposts. Uh, To me, it looks like a little bit of both. But yes, I mean, mean, now it's, you know, widely available uh, vaccine, like everyone's got it type of thing is when when we're going to fully reopen. But he did move um, forward a little bit with easing restrictions yesterday when he announced that um, we, we could or regions of the the state could move out of that the the phase uh, three mitigation. So, phase four. I'm sorry. Yes, phase four. So phase four. Move out of phase three, four into 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 what? I mean, that's the. So here's my fundamental problem with 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 all of this kabuki theater and the malarkey of the way that not only the state of Illinois but states around the country are managing this thing. So, I mean, this is like, honest to goodness, this is more confusing than understanding like how to go from white belt to black belt in in karate, right? I mean, it's like we're at phase, supposedly phase four, tier three. What in the world does that mean to anybody? I mean, what, and what does it, I mean, what does it mean? I mean, so under the mitigations, I mean, just to kind of like, you know, talk this through, um, this particular mitigation step has prohibited indoor bar and restaurant service statewide, uh, but then left that to the counties uh, to, um, you know, to, to police. What, what do we have to look forward to on January 15th? What, what does Illinois look like, you know, in a, you know, in a, in, in a matter of a week or what ultimately would be next weekend? Uh, for most people, it wouldn't be a whole lot of difference. To be honest, um, as my understanding is that even if we moved out of the phase four tier three, we restaurants couldn't reopen indoor dining right away. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of those things, um, it's going to take more time than fifteenth. But I think that the news yesterday was that at least he was, you know, b- before yesterday we were under the impression that this was going to be an indefinite amount of time. There was no end date to when these restrictions would be lifted, even though there was really no Thanksgiving or Christmas uh, surge in, in COVID nineteen cases in COVID nineteen metrics statewide. Um, he it said yesterday that you know since we hadn't seen those sur- those numbers spike, that that on the 15th, which would be another full incubation period from uh, the, the, la- the end of the holidays, that, yeah. that that could start to lift. But 
Um, I mean, I guess there's a little, to me, for most people, I'm guessing there's a bit more light at the end of the tunnel, but it's really not much. I just don't understand. I mean, you know, the, the big concern, I mean, obviously for people who wake up every morning, try to go to work, try to make, you know, the world a better place, want to know what they're going to be able to do in a couple of weeks to, to just be in compliance, you know, with, with the law or to understand the law so they can decide whether or not they want to be in compliance with it or not. I'm not sure that there's a, a very clear path here. And uh, that has been a, a huge issue throughout COVID. What you can, can't do, what the stats mean, the say the the science and the data and how that's, you know, how, how that ultimately connects back to what's permitted and what's not permitted. Uh, I think Illinoisans are tired of it. Um, they're willing in, in this is purely my take. I think Illinoisans have, have been have been compliant. I think in in large part, Illinoisans have been patient. Uh, I think that people around the state, even those even those who are not necessarily bought in on the realities of COVID, uh, have been at the very least avoidable by those who are fully bought in on COVID and the dangers of COVID. But the overarch and and the overreach. Of, of government in the past 10 months has become palpable for others. And um, the fuzziness or fogginess of what the numbers mean and, and what the future holds is reaching a, a point where I think even people in the medical profession might just kind of throw up their hands and say, you know, what are we doing here? I think probably nowhere is it more frustrating than, than, than parents and kids who, who want to get back to school. And, and really there's been no statewide leadership on that issue. Essentially Pritzker has, has left all that to individual districts. Right. Um, and no matter what phase we're in, I don't see that changing. Um, unless the, the governor or, or state lawmakers uh, step up and take action. So what's the grip on, um, on the emergency COVID rule? that Governor Pritzker put into play on Monday regarding, I mean, is this, is this largely ma mask mandate, social distance requirements? Well, is there anything more to it? Give us the that, background on that. Help people understand how that factors into where we are along the lines as well. So that was the, the mask, the statewide mask mandate and the statewide social distancing requirements were set to expire. Um, and he filed an emergency rule to re-up them for another 150 days. Um, so it, you're right. It essentially was just those two things. But um, some of the language in the bill changed, um, or so, sorry, some of the language in the rule changed, but it was essentially uh, very similar to, to what was previously in place. So he, he's basically asking to re-up that. He has to get approval from um, JCAR, uh and they'll likely grant it uh, as they did before. Well, I look forward to seeing how that comes out. So it's in the realm of Pritzker conversations. It's, let's, let's, let's stay with, uh, with the, with the governor for a moment with the presumption of, of Joe Biden taking over, you know, the white house and with what transpired in the Georgia Senate vote and with the Democrats already holding um, a majority in the House. I think that there were people in Illinois, um, in particular, the, the Britsker administration, who believed that that meant that all the lights were green uh, for a bailout. And 
as a as such, um, maybe the urgency to make cuts within the state, furloughs within the state, uh, happen, which is something that Governor Pritzker had, had said that he was going to do in in December, um, which has not happened yet, and does not appear to be on track to happen. That entire you know set of mechanics just isn't going to happen at all. What, I mean, what's your what's your feeling and what's your take? Where are we with that at this point? He did announce uh, $711 million in, in suggested cuts, but has not uh, produced any results. And in fact, Illinois may be one of the only states in the nation that hasn't made a single cut since COVID, despite uh, just revenues plummeting. Um, so I'm not sure he was ever real intent on making cuts. He said for several weeks in a row that he was. We never saw any action. Most governors, most state legislatures had taken action months and months in ago, you know, not nine months in when we're starting to suggest it. But uh, so he's he was very slow to even get to that point. And whether how intent he was about actually making those cuts is um, unclear to me. So um, staying within within Illinois specifically, I mean, just, let's just stay like on sort of legislative issues at this point. The unemployment fraud issue at IDES has been has been rampant, and the fraudulent claims are actually gumming up the legitimate claims. Chicago Television has had a field day with stories about people receiving like a couple dozen prepaid cards in the mail or the precursor letters that would that would suggest that those. Uh, prepaid cards would be heading their way. What is going on with the Illinois Republicans and this demand for action? What are they asking for and what are they expecting to get? What they really want is hearings um, to determine the scope of the problem and what needs to be done to fix it. In terms of both the fraud, delays, and also um, now I think the, 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 the waiver in the late, latest federal bill that, w- that would allow people to not have to pay back some of that money if they accidentally got it. Yeah. Okay. But th- the scope of the problem, we don't really have a handle on that yet, which is confusing or, or alarming at this stage of the game. I mean, the administration says that it stopped 350,000 350, uh, fraudulent claims since March. But we don't know how many got through. We don't know mm-hmm. how much. We don't know the total dollar value of the fraud that went through, and if there's going to be any way to get that money back. Um, mm-hmm. So there's still just a lot of unknowns here, and I think the Republicans want answers to a lot of those questions. Um, not not only the scope of the problem, but but what can be done to fix it, and then also right. to, you know to get benefits out in a timely fashion, um, and to make sure that those who wrongly received benefit benefits in some cases. Um, aren't forced all of a sudden to pay back tons of money that they may not have. Well, that um, and, this, and this would seem to be a reasonable subject piece of subject matter to discuss at lame duck, right? Which which gets going or would have started. I mean, people are listening to this Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Lame duck is scheduled to begin Friday, so the eighth of January. Correct? Um, is this going to come up? Is, is this going to be something that, you know, where there's an opportunity to, to discuss it? Is, is this something that would have a, a, any piece of legislation potentially connected to it? It could come up, though. It's not guaranteed um, by, by a long shot. I mean, the, the agenda right now that we've seen is, is pretty narrow. 
Um, there what's may be on some- it, Brett? What's on that agenda for the benefit of people that are trying to figure out exactly what's going on in the state? So they've got several hearings scheduled on the 8th and the 9th, the executive committee on the 8th, and then on the 9th, uh, there's a Judiciary Criminal uh, Committee hearing, Higher Education Committee hearing, Healthcare Availability and Accessibility Committee hearing, and a Judiciary Civil Committee hearing that's going to tackle the LaSalle Veterans Home issue. Mm -hmm. Other than that, we don't have a whole lot of details. Um, and Pritzker said yesterday that they may not even get to, uh, you, you know, given the truncated nature of the, the lame duck session, they might not even get to budget issues. Well, so, and that's, the, and I think that that's the biggest, I mean, that's the biggest miss, right? I mean, we have a $4 billion hole in the budget and to connect this back to the conversation we just had about federal bailout, wasn't the thinking perhaps here that, you know, the federal government would just fill that hole? I think that's been the wish. Whether that happens is going to be a big question. I, I think that there's a lot of uh, legislatures on, on both sides of the aisle that don't want to bail out Illinois. Um, they would rather see their, their tax money come back to their states than than pay for Illinois' financial mismanagement, decades of financial mismanagement. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, don't, I just don't, I don't see that happening. Dan and I have talked about this a couple of times uh, on the crosstalk segment, and I, it feels as if they're waiting for a Santa Claus moment here, where you know the Illinois is gifted, whereas I mean, really, Illinois deserves coal on that. I mean, a hundred percent. You know, the the hole that's been built or the hole that's been dug has been dug over time. Um, there's been opportunity to to fix and to remedy, and uh, that has not that has not happened. So with with lame duck going on, um, you know, now and over the weekend, what do we expect to hear from House Speaker Michael Madigan, who has been, aside from a handful of, you know, down and dirty replies to uh, requests for comment about what's gone on with ComEd and his involvement in that, has been largely silent. How does it, how does government uh, sort of just pick up where it left off with uh, Mike Madigan and all the things that have gone on around him and his uh, his cohort over the last year? That'll probably be a real interesting thing that comes up. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't come up during the lame duck, but it's going to come up sooner uh, rather than later. But eventually, he's going to either get to keep his seat or keep the gavel or have to pass it. Um, um, House Minority Leader Jim Durkin has asked that uh, a nonpartisan parliamentarian be put in charge in, in the in the case that uh, a suitable leader can't be found, which I thought was an interesting move. But mm-hmm. we'll, we'll we'll have to see how that all plays out. I think that that uh, could be very interesting to watch. It may also be terribly boring to watch. I guess we'll have to see. Um, but it does open up some possibilities for. Um, for the black caucus and also for the women's caucus to, to get um, one of their members in. It's been reported that the Latino caucus is, is with Madigan um, or that, or that he feels that, that he has them in his court. What's the grip on that? I think even with what he's got, he, he doesn't have enough. Um, he's been in power for a long time. And I think that some people, uh, even within his own party uh, are, are fed up and, and want to change. The the party has has definitely changed and shifted from from where you know it was at when he started in, in politics uh, forty fifty years ago. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, it should be an, it should be interesting. And I mean, I think for the, for the benefit of Illinoisans that are trying to put, you know, sort of make sense of what's what's happening. This will be the first time since what was it? April that or was it May that the legislature has uh, has been together um, in that last legislative session, uh, which I think was four or five days long, uh, maybe only four days long took place over the weekend at the uh, at the uh, convention center or the um, indoor arena in Springfield. It should be an interest it should be interesting to watch, but uh, it's been a long time coming and uh, and largely this will at least temporarily end uh, Governor Pritzker's uh, one man show. Yes, um, that's essentially what happened last May when they did come back um, in they put some checks on on the governor's power. He had wanted to get through um, a, a rule that would have charged businesses with a felony um, if they had uh, violated some of the COVID-19 rules. I think they, they bumped that down or they flatly rejected. He had to withdraw that. Um, and then, you know, something else was put in its place. But there there, there is the possibility that his, some of his authority could be checked, but the um, legislature, in my opinion, has seemed all too content to sit out the entire pandemic. I mean, mm-hmm. they came, they came for those four days in, in the end of May uh, and they've talked quite a bit since then, but they haven't done a whole lot. Right. Well, not in a position to, to do anything. I mean, Illinois is one of these, one of the few States in the country that a didn't come back and B didn't have a provision in the state constitution for business to be conducted, you know, uh, via Zoom, uh, or you know, or Google Meet, or you know, Microsoft Teams, or any of the other online communication of, uh, tools that uh, that are being used virtually by every other business, and uh, to degrees of success and failure by schools to educate our kids. So. Uh, all right. Hey, Brett, one last thing. Um, you know, uh, business in Illinois, uh, not fantastic in 2020, uh, except the weed business. My goodness. Um, there are not even 80 stores in the in the state of Illinois that s- sell recreational marijuana. And those 80 stores did 670 million dollars in 2020 it's an impressive number especially during a pandemic um where, where we saw you know retail cannabis sales went from illegal to essential in about a period of about three months um and, and sales really took off i think there was initially there was uh supply shortages and, and people couldn't get products and and uh the um recreational sales essentially weren't even happening for a while. It was mostly just going to medical customers. Now that that's opened up a bit, we've seen the numbers grow month, uh, almost every month since. Um, I think we will end up falling short of Colorado's first year, but you know, Colorado's first year wasn't during a pandemic. So I don't know how comparable those numbers are given um, just the massive uncertainty and, and economic um punch that, that COVID has had. Right. And Illinois didn't have the novelty of being the first. I mean, and, you know, when, when Colorado, you know, opened up basically for when, when, when Colorado opened up legal weed, there was a, a spike in what then was being called like agritourism. 
people literally were going on vacation to Colorado uh, for the purpose of buying legal weed and the novelty of that. Illinois didn't have that benefit. And certainly, um, you know, with the conditions of COVID, it didn't really lend itself necessarily to be traveling anywhere to, to do much of anything. And Illinois was what, maybe the 10th or ninth or 10th state in the union that, that legalized recreational marijuana. So was not going to get that kind of a bounce. I mean, so what do you make of the number? What do you, what do you think about what's your take on, on um, legal rec weed in Illinois as a, as an, as an industry? I'm concerned with the way that it's been set up as, you know, there's going to be this limited number of people who can get licenses. Um, We've already seen that uh, some of the efforts in the initial legislation that would have made it um, more equity centric, as Pritzker has said, uh, and, and open to to uh, blacks and Hispanics and, and communities that have been uh, hard hit by the war on drugs. Those haven't really come to fruition yet, even more than a year after we're still waiting on um, that sort of second round of dispensaries to come online. We've got the medical um, dispensaries that were in place before the recreational law. They're still essentially controlling the game, and 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 that's a pretty white crowd. Um, the fact that that it's so limited to get in the door anyway is going to mean um, high prices. It's going to mean uh, the the consumers aren't getting the best deal that they could, and certainly that the. the the playing field is not uh, even close to, to even for anyone and unless you have tons of money and good connections. Um, you're, you're pretty much out of luck. Yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. I mean, um, in, in probably the worst year that many people, you know, have experienced uh, certainly maybe the worst collective year in, 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 in the last, oh, I don't know, hundred years since, um, since the Spanish flu, legalized marijuana for recreational use uh, flourishes. It's sort of a strange, strange statement on the current affair or the current state of things in the state of Illinois. Uh, Brett, it's always a pleasure. Uh, I know you got to get back, drive the Illinois news bus. I appreciate you taking time out to visit today. So glad to be on. Thank you, Chris. For Brett Rowland, this has been Chris Krug. You've been listening to Crosstalk segment on Illinois in Focus, powered by the Center Square. Now over to Greg Bishop for a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, we'll wrap up coverage of the 101st Illinois General Assembly and make way for the 102nd two-year session. All eyes Wednesday will likely be on whether longtime Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan, who's had the seat for all but two years since 1983, retains his seat of power. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.